When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 248, and we are recording on September 8th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and my bathroom renovation. <laughs> Your random sawing, that is because my lovely contractor is destroying my bathroom <laughs> for money. <laughs> so that's what's happening. How are you? Good. Good. I just got back from the woods, which was very nice. Oh. Yes. Everything I own smells like a campfire, so I feel like that's a success. Yes. Mm -hmm. You could bottle that and make like a bajillion dollars. I wish, right? Perfumer. (laughs) Or like a candle maker. They have campfire smelling candles, but they just, they never quite cut it for me. Yeah, no. They usually smell like what my oven smells like after I try to clean it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It was not good. Okay, so... On that note, how the show works. Uh, This is a show for reading recommendations, as we said. So if you need a uh, reading recommendation for yourself or someone in your life or a book club or for a gift or whatever, you can send this to us via email at getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please note that in the subject line if you use the email or in big letters in the first line if you use the form. We will probably email you back if, not probably, we will email you back if we aren't going to get to your question on time and it is time sensitive. Okay, so we have a bunch of feedback here from Sybil, who says, I have a few recommendations for Aislinn, who was looking for more books like the All Souls trilogy. She suggests Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman, um, and also The Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. Laura has a recommendation for Hannah from episode 246, who was looking for like wintry fairy tale books. And Laura recommends the Harwood Spellbook series by Stephanie Burgess, starting with Snow Spelled, which we recommended that on the um, the show before. It's super, super fun. Snow, magic, gender politics, and kissing is what Laura says, which is like, oh, that sounds amazing. Um, and Jennifer recommends for Faith, who is asking for indigenous fantasy, Son of a Trickster by Eden Robinson, the first book in a trilogy and uses mythology from the Heisler Nation in Northwest. BC. And then the last one is from Jessica, who says, recommendation for the person looking for LGBT books for her parents, Changing Our Mind by David Gushy, who's a biblical scholar who is against LGBTQ marriage until his sister came out and he started diving into scripture. This book is his letter to the church. Okay, so Jen's going to read us our first question, and then we will hear from our first sponsor and away we will go. All right. Our first question is from someone who says, <laughs> I'm at the point in my gender journey, trademark, where I think <laughs> I need to read some books by trans men that talk about the experience of being a trans man. Either memoirs or own voices fiction would be cool, especially interested in hearing from men who only figured out they were trans as adults and maybe identified as lesbian before that. Thanks. All right. So let us have a sponsor break. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. 
Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so for trans male memoirs slash fiction, I am going to give a quick shout out to Sorted, S-O-R-T-E-D. It's like I don't say that word. It sounds like a different word when I say it, but it's Sorted um, by Jackson Bird, which is a great memoir uh, about being a trans male who figures it out in the 20s. But the full recommendation I'm giving, because I think it speaks more specifically to your question about IDing as lesbian first, is Man Alive by Thomas Page McBee, which comes with trigger warnings for child molestation, mugging, transphobia, and PTSD and disassociation. So this is a really beautifully written gut punch of a memoir. And McBee is at the opening of the book, I think he's 29. And he's struggling with a couple of things. One is his relationship with his father who abused him when he was a child. And another is this mugging incident. He and his girlfriend were out walking home late one night and they were mugged. And the mugger at this point, uh, McBee was presenting very androgynously. And uh, the mugger, like, was holding him literally at gunpoint until McBee said something. And his voice still sounded relatively female at that point, And they were let go. And so McBee is struggling with this feeling that, like, the more male he presents, the more comfortable he feels. But also, he has had these horrible experiences with Mm. men. So, like, how Mm. do you reconcile 
feeling male, but also feeling betrayed and, you know, the object of violence by the men in your community? Like, how do you reconcile those things? Which I think is a really good question. Like, how do you reconcile those things? And so you get taken through, you know, the decision to fully transition um, with hormones and, you know, the change in his relationship with his girlfriend who then, you know, they get married. So it's his wife. And, you know, reconciling himself to what happened in his childhood. Does he want to reconcile directly with his father? Does he not? And there's all kinds of like family discussions and secrets that come out in the course of this. But it's really it's just so clear on like how his gender is separate from the trauma he experienced as a child, but they do inform each other and they are in conversation with each other and, you know, untangling those threads and deciding like what kind of man does he want to be is uh, what this memoir is about. So it's incredibly powerful. Highly recommend. He also has another book about toxic masculinity that came out in the past year or two and is just a really thoughtful, interesting writer. So again, that's Man Alive by Thomas Page McBee. Okay, I picked Something That May Shock and Discredit You by Daniel Mallory Ortberg, which came out... Oh yeah, no, this year. It came out this year. This year has been a decade long, so like I can't remember <laughs> when anything has happened. Uh, it came out in February, and this is a collection of essays slash humor writing slash memoirs. Like if you just took the top off Daniel's head and like shook him upside down, whatever came out, that would be kind of this book. And if you're familiar with Daniel's writing from before, especially from The Toast, then you know that like what's going to come out is going to be like funny and weird and pop culture cultural and like surprisingly about the Bible a lot of the time and all of that. Daniel transitioned in his I'm 30s, right? Like he's our age and it was pretty recent. So as an adult, I don't know if he identified as a lesbian before that. I don't remember. But I'm sure you could figure that out. Um, so anyway, so the book is, I just can't even, it's such a hodgepodge. Like the first couple of chapters I remember were very heavily biblical. And he's talking about his experience transitioning from that perspective. And he grew up in like a pretty strong evangelical church setting. And so if you are unfamiliar with like really deep cut biblical references, the, the first few chapters <laughs> might be a little over your head, but they're still really, really funny. And then it goes into like Anne of Green Gables and the Golden Girls and just the most random, I don't even, just Daniel's feelings on a page about anything and everything that anyone probably over the age of 25 will relate to. Because these are all pop culture touchstones that like all of us know and love or are at least mildly familiar with. So the memoirish part of it about his experience being a trans man who transitioned later in life is all told through these touchstones that I think almost any reader is going to get. Plus, he's hilarious and witty and just a jo just a gem, a gem and a jewel of a person. <laughs> so that's something that may shock and discredit you by Daniel Mallory Ortberg. I can't wait to read that book. I'm so excited for it. The Bible stuff is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so great. It's so great. Okay. Um, our next question is from Brenna, who says, I'm looking for a fantasy novel where the protagonist is not a young adult. As I creep into my 40s, I'm finding it harder and harder to relate to the tortured 20-something who has to overcome their extra traumatic past to fully harness their power. I'd really love a book where the main character is confident in his or her abilities and already has a strong sense of self and a good connection to others. Captain Vimes from the Discworld series and many of Alice Hoffman's characters fit the bill, but I haven't found anything recently that's rung my bell. I love Naomi Novik, Jeff Vandermeer, and N.K. Jemisin, and I'm a fan of classic fantasy, urban fantasy, and weird fiction. Okay, Jen, what you got? 
I am so excited to recommend unto you The Affair of the Mysterious Letter by Alexis Hall. And this book has, I mean, by the author's own admission, some Discworld in its DNA. It is also extremely weird and like kind of a bizarre combination of like classic and urban fantasy. It is also, surprise, a Sherlock rewrite. There's so much going on here uh, (laughs) in like a Lovecraftian magic world. So, you know. There's a billion influences, and they all come together to make something really weird and amazing. The two characters are grown. Captain John Wyndham, who is our Watson stand-in, is a veteran and a trans male and, like, just kind of looking for a place to live. Like, that's what he's doing. And so he finds, you know, lodgings with the new housemate whose name is Sharzad Haz, who is a sorceress and is our Holmes stand-in here. And she gets enlisted to solve a case of blackmail against one of her former lovers. And, you know, Wyndham, like, very reluctantly and stuffily comes along for the ride. He is super concerned about appearances and, like, correct behavior. And Haz is like, I do what I want. <laughs> like, who cares? And there's vampires and sharks and demons and extra dimensional adventures and just like all kinds of really bananas fun adventures. I really need there to be more books in this series. Like I'm desperately hoping that when Hall is done with his latest round of romance novels, he will return to this world because it is just so fascinating. The world building is great. The characters are like very much themselves, mostly trying to figure out how to like interact in these very bonkers circumstances. And uh, it's just delightful. So again, that's The Affair of the Mysterious Letter by Alexis Hall. I picked the Parasol Protectorate series by Gail Carriger, which is the first book is called Soulless. And I picked this because it's it's urban fantasy. It's um historical though but since you said the Discworld series I feel like uh, Solus or the Parasol Protectorate series as a whole and Discworld have a lot of like that kind of zany madcap thing going on where the characters say just the most ridiculous things as if they're completely normal and you're just like along for this ride so that tone kind of struck me as similar in Solus the main character's name is Alexia Alexia Terabotti she's Italian can you tell because I just did the tea <laughs> thing um, she lives in London it's Victorian it's the Victorian era and she is not an outcast socially, but is kind of looked askance at by high society. Um, She is a lady and is, you know, fancy and all of that kind of stuff. But she doesn't have a soul. She was born with no soul, um, which means that, hence the name Solus, which means that when she encounters supernatural beasties, of which there are many, and their societies are fairly organized, including vampires and werewolves, her her soullessness removes their supernatural abilities in her presence. So like she touches a vampire, his ability to whatever, vampire at you goes away. Uh, She touches a werewolf, they can't change, like that kind of thing. And so everybody is a little bit like, oh, but she's like creepy. Like she doesn't have a soul. Like she's a shark. That's weird. Also, she's Italian. How dare? So she's like a little bit brown and like that's unacceptable. And her father is dead. So like all of these things make her very suspicious capitalist. And then when the book opens, she's at a party, but she's like super bored. They're not serving any real food. So she's broken into like a library where the cakes are and is eating food like a normal person. And she gets attacked by this vampire who is obviously like unregistered and does not know the rules about who they can and cannot vampire at. I'm using this as a euphemism for eat. I don't know why. Who they can and can't eat. (laughs) Um, So she gets attacked and she kills him with her like she's got a little umbrella that's like a weapon. She kills him, which she's not supposed to do, but also what what else was she supposed to do? And so this whole situation brings Lord McCone to investigate, who is Queen Victoria's 
like head of paranormal whatever, like the head cop of the paranormal division of Scotland Yard. He is also an alpha vampire of like Scotland's biggest pack and is very loud and obnoxious and, you know, alpha E and also conveniently super hot. So the two of them start to investigate kind of why this rogue vampire appeared and attacked her and where he came from and how it, you know, works into this larger mystery that's happening in London where some well-known vampires are going missing and unknown vampires are appearing who do not know the rules. So there's a lot of traveling through London and it's like dark underbellies and also to Scotland to McCone's castle where his pack lives. Um, there's a lot of romance, a little bit of sexy times. It's just super fun. Mad Cat, very zany. Love it. So that's Soulless by Gail Carriger. All right. Our next question is from James, who says, looking for newer fantasy or dystopian titles with male protagonists. As a librarian, I've been finding it difficult to find newer titles for young readers, specifically male readers transitioning out of juvie reads into YA reads. I'm finding my go-to titles are aging off the shelves, specifically being asked about read-alikes for Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, The Maze Runner, and The Brother Band Chronicles. Um, I can find titles with female leads with no problem, but this doesn't always appeal to younger male readers. Anything you can recommend published within the past two years or so. Yes, so many books, y'all. <laughs> There's actually a Hey YA episode about this. Hey YA is our YA podcast. And I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. That is like a whole wealth of information for you because they did literally do a whole show uh, about YA with male leads. And I'm going to just keep talking. I'm going to recommend Beasts Made of Night by Tochi Onyebuchi, which is the first in a two book series, both of which are out. And this is, whew, this is so, <laughs> it's like really intense world building. The world that these characters live in is a fantasy world in which mages can, like, summon forth from your body a sin, like, a bad thing. That's, like, yeah, it's, like, kind of weirdly religious, but also kind of not. So, like, a bad thing that you did, a morally suspect thing, in the form of, like, a monster. <laughs> and then somebody has to kill the monster and oh they are hard to kill so and you need like special talents and Taj is the main character he is one of the most talented of the young sin eaters who has to like slay and then absorb this sin beast so basically these like basically the rich get to pay to erase their moral wrongdoings at the expense of others surprise and when you kill a sin beast, you get a tattoo of the the beast and you like absorb the guilt of committing the act. And a lot of the Aki is what they're called. The sin eaters are driven mad by this. Um, but Taj, who is 17, is like somehow resisting the madness and is like, you know, he needs the money to provide for his family. He's part of like a very poor class of people. And he gets summoned to the palace to eat the sin of a royal and like that comes with all kinds of problems now he knows things that like maybe he shouldn't mm. know he's on the radar of people who want to use him for their own influences it's like bad news bears from start to finish and uh he has to figure out how to survive all of this stuff and this is a Nigerian influenced fantasy. And there's amazing like sequences of like going through the marketplace in the city and like eating hot pepper soup. And, you know, the mythology comes out of 
Nigerian mythology because that's part of Onibuchi's heritage. And so it's really like lush and gritty and you can really feel and smell and see everything that's going on. So it's a really fantastic uh, series. I highly recommend it. And he's writing other things also that should be on your radar, perhaps as a librarian, might be useful to you to recommend. So again, that's Beasts Made of Night by Tochi Onyebuchi. Oh, I should say that the first book ends on a real cliffhanger, so you're going to want to have both on the shelves for the students. Okay, I picked Want by Cindy Pond, which is maybe a little older than what you were looking for. It came out in 2017, so it's three years old instead of two years old, but it's still really great. Uh, and this is, a, it takes place in like a near future, it's not alternate, actually, I don't, kind of dystopian society. The main character's name is Jason Zhao, and he lives in this very exact no, I don't even know if it's exaggerated now <laughs> like at the time the places that we are as a society versus where we were in 2017 make this book feel a little more prophetic and this is the first time I've talked about it out loud since I read it <laughs> anyway so he lives in this society where the haves are wear these very fancy and expensive suits that cover their skin and their faces and keep them safe from viruses and also pollution that kill pretty much everyone else in the city over time. Uh, either people get sick with these viruses and can't afford medical care. Look, timely. Am I, you know, they get sick with these viruses and can't afford medical care, or they inhale all this pollution from unregulated capitalism that's happening around them, and then they die that way. And Jason is the main character. His mother has just died from poverty, essentially, um, having a disease that she could not get pay for medical care to treat. And so he has hooked up with this group of friends of other teenagers. Well, teenagers, they're like 19, you know, they're a little bit older and have made up this like heist, this con to help him infiltrate Gin Corp. And Gin Corporation makes these suits that the rich people rely on. But Gin Corp is also maybe a little bit, maybe a lot responsible for some of the societal ills that are happening in the city where they all live. So they come up with this plot to like make uh, Jason appear really wealthy, insert him into this high society, get him hired at Gin Corp so he can go in and like kind of get evidence of this and find out what's happening. Also, they're going to break in and maybe blow it up. TBD, right? Like we'll see how it goes. So he does this and the wrinkle is that he starts to fall for Dayu, who is the daughter of Gin Corp's CEO. And she's like very trusting and does not agree with everything that's going on that her father does and is like trying to find ways within the system to write things. So like she's got motives that make it hard for him to hate her, <laughs> uh, which is like inconvenient feelings. <laughs> so inconvenient. Uh, and so onward they go, right? They have this heist to carry out. He's got this con to carry out. He's got like vengeance to exact and viruses to destroy. Um, and maybe, ki you know, like kids reading it right now will probably find this a lot more relatable even than kids who were reading it three years ago when it was just a prophetic thing and not like just a rip from the headlines. So yeah. <laughs> and there is a second book that is called Ruse that came out last year. So that is Want by Cindy Pond. Love that book. So much fun. All right. Our next question is from Brooke, who says, I need something I needed something to look forward to. And I'm planning a trip to New York City, which I've always wanted to take. Not sure when I will actually get to take it, but I'm going to be ready. I've read so much historical fiction that takes place there, but not in the modern day. Can you recommend anything that might give me some inspiration of things to see or do there that's closer to the New York I'll see in the next year or so? OK, done. OK, so this was kind of a fun question to think about because I lived in New York for five years and I was trying to think like, oh, yeah, what were the books that like made me want to go do things in New York, which mm -hmm. I often didn't do because of, you know, tourist traffic, basically. Like, it's one thing when you're a tourist is another thing when you live there and you're like, I want to do these things, but I also don't want to deal with all the people who like are in the way, even <laughs> though they're there to do the exact same things that I wanted to do. 
I, the irony is not lost on me. Anyway, the point being is that the book that popped into my head is this fantastic romance novella called Once Ghosted, Twice Shy by Alyssa Cole, who, side note, just had a thriller about gentrification in Brooklyn come out called when no one's looking when no one was watching anyway i'll leave a link in the show notes um i'm too anxious to read it right now but i'm excited to get to it in <laughs> shortly anyway the point is this novella it's part of the reluctant royals series which i also recommend reading because they're great but i think it stands alone pretty well the main character Likotsi, is the like pa to a prince from a small country in africa And she is like the consummate professional. She's also extremely dapper and, you know, like very well put together. And she was in New York on like a trip with him when she met a woman uh, like through a dating app. And they really clicked and they had this like amazing short romance. But then Fabiola, who is the woman she was dating, she ghosted her. And then Lakosi had to leave anyway for work because that's not where she was based. So that was all like really heartbreaking for Lakotsi. And now she's back in New York City and she's like trying so hard not to think about this woman and like not, you know, like retrace all the things and what went wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, on the subway because this actually does happen in New York City, who does she run into but Fabiola, who, like, approaches her and is like, hey, can we, like, hang out? And Lakotsi is like, uh, you've left, you ghosted me. I'm, like, still uh, feeling sad about this. And now you want to, like, hang out? But, like, okay, maybe I'll get some closure. So, like, let's hang out. And Fabiola, in the process of, like, trying to explain to Lakotsi what happened and the two of them, like, repairing this relationship, go on, like, Fabiola takes Likotsi on her, like, personal tour of New York. So it's, like, this tiny place in Chinatown or, you know, the, like, this one view of off of this one bridge. And it's such a beautiful exploration of the city that's, like, not the Times Square city, but, like, these little gems that you can find all over the city that, like, if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss. And it just it gave me that feeling of like, oh, right. Like if you look like literally just look around as you're walking around, but also Mm -hmm. poke around on like Yelp and other places, you can find these tiny gems that like will take you off the beaten path and like are so lovely and fulfilling and give you a a real taste of, you know, another side of New York City. And and of course, it's just a great romance. So uh, again, that's Once Ghosted, Twice Shy by Alyssa Cole. So I came at this from kind of like maybe a weird angle. I don't know. Uh, I picked The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin, which just came out in March and is a fantasy novel about how cities have like souls that become personified by people who live in them, usually one person who lives in them, who becomes that city. So like, you know, I don't know, L.A. has one person who is like is L.A. and walks around being L.A. like personifies all of the aspects uh, and culture of that place and then kind of like lives forever, weirdly. And as the cities are born, like as the person becomes inhabited by this, the soul of the city, some evil forces come and try to kill it. And so as this book opens, New York is being born into its personification. And there is an evil force that from like another dimension that wants to come and destroy it and stop it from happening for reasons that you figure out in the as the book goes along. The thing about New York is that it's actually multiple cities, right? All the boroughs have their own spirit, like their own soul, their own vibe, their own thing. 
So when New York is born, it's actually born into several people, like one for each borough and then one overarching New York person. So I think there are five people or six. I can't remember how many boroughs there are. (laughs) Anyway, and so why I think this is a good book to read for somebody who's going to New York is because you will get the like the vibe of each borough. And I think that some people, you know, when they go to New York to do the touristy thing, they kind of stay in Manhattan, which is there's obviously tons to do in Manhattan. But I think that this book will make you really want to go check out what's like what's happening in Queens and what's happening in Brooklyn and all these other places. Maybe not so much Staten Island. You, this will not make you want to go to Staten Island. <laughs> That's fine. But it's so interesting to me because, you know, I've been to New York for work and, and like as a tourist a couple of times and, and had gone to a couple of the different boroughs. But um, this is such a feels like such a comprehensive. It's not a guide because it's a fantasy novel, it, but it feels like a really comprehensive guide to what every borough can offer and like what every borough's maybe values are or priorities are or what they want to be uh, even. And the characters that Jemison writes to occupy the spirit of each part of the city are so great. Like they're so great and funny and ugh, I don't know. Well, they're all different, right? Because all the boroughs are different. So I, I don't know. Before I even like read a tourist guide to New York or a guide to like the places off the beaten path necessarily that I would want to go see or even on the beaten path because like I love the Met, you know, I think this would be really useful because you can decide almost like which boroughs feel closest to like the thing you want to experience and then and then go check them out. So yeah, so that's The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. Nice. We are going to do our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. 
there is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, our next question is from Brooke, who says, I have had a little success in getting through working from home while quote-unquote homeschooling my four-and-a-half-year-old this week with audiobooks. We have listened to the first two Ramona books by Beverly Cleary two times each. What are some other chapter books where the characters are four or five years old that we can try? I want to keep this crafting while audiobooking up and ditch the YouTube marathons we were resorting to. Ugh, like you you are doing all the things. Support and love (laughs) to you and all parents who are trying to parent and teach and work during this time. I am going to recommend to you Betsy Tacey, which is the first in the Betsy Tacey series by Maud Hart Lovelace. This is like a very old sort of classic series, um, second only, I think, in popularity to Anne of Green Gables. But they do hold up, actually. I've had multiple people tell me they've reread them recently. And my one of my nieces is currently like hard into these. So I think that if that is any indication... They will be a good fit for you. And the very first one, number one, it starts at Betsy's fifth birthday party. Um, It's about, as you might have guessed from the title, (laughs) a little girl named Betsy who uh, moves to a house um, on a new street. Oh, no, wait. Excuse me. Yes. No. So Betsy lives on Hill Street and then Tacy uh, moves with her parents to the street and there aren't any other little girls on the street. So Betsy is very hopeful that, you know, Tacy will be a friend for her. Turns out they do get along and they become such good friends that everybody starts to think of them basically as one unit, hence Betsy Tacy. And in this first book, it's about them forming their friendship and then also uh, having a new friend. So it's, you know, just like very sweet and like takes place in like, I think that's 40s. So very gentle. Again, that is the Betsy Tacy series by Maud Hart Loveless. Okay, I picked the Princess in Black series by Shannon and Dean Hale, illustrated by Lei Win Pham, which like probably doesn't so much matter if you're doing them audiobook because you won't be able to see the illustrations. But I will say the illustrations are great and worth getting a hardcover just so like your kid can look at them because they're hilarious. So the Princess in Black is about Princess Magnolia, who was raised to be very, you know, princessy, like princessy i don't even there's like not a better way to put that (laughs) but she is secretly the princess in black which is a alter ego superhero uh superhero alter ego i said that backwards who defends her realm mostly the goats from attack by monsters so when the first book opens and it's just called the princess in black there are several in the series uh she is having hot chocolate with duchess wigtower in her castle and duchess wigtower is like a little suspicious of Princess Magnolia because Princess Magnolia is constantly disappearing at inopportune times. Sometimes she's a little dirtier than she should be. And like, what's going on here? I feel like you're maybe not behaving as a proper princess. But as this like tea is happening, the monster alarm goes off and she has to change into her princess in black outfit and get on her pony and go save her sheep from this monster who like just wants dinner. And (laughs) she has to do all that and then like come back before the duchess discovers her secret because now Duchess Wigtower is like digging through her stuff and like finds parts of her, you know, costume uh, as the Princess in Black and like is trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. It's super fun and very sweet. And there's like a little side character, her, her, what do you call it? Sidekick is this like shepherd boy who's super terrified of the monsters and like so reveres the Princess in Black and her bravery. And he's adorable and I love him. The goats also have like 
pretty strong personalities. <laughs> and so do the monsters. The monsters are like, you know, I'm like, I'm just here for dinner. And the princess in black is like, oh, fine. You know, and there's a lot of negotiation <laughs> and like compromising happening. And uh, also, you know, like this great kind of message that girls do not have to be the thing that society asks them to be or tells them to be all the time. Uh, and, you know, every book is just like a new fun adventure that she goes on. Um, and they're great. So that's The Princess in Black by Shannon and Dean Hale. Okay, question six is from Emily, who says, Lately, I've really been into the Tomorrow When the War Began series by John Marsden and How I Live Now by Meg Rosoff. I'm looking for similar books, voice YA and diary form, where there is a disaster, war, or other big problem, and a group of teens are walking through the wilderness while trying to survive. I realize that's incredibly specific, but I'll take as many of those elements as you can find in one book. I care a lot about the characters and relationships, and I'm looking for settings that feel pretty realistic, so not a dystopia with sci-fi or magical elements. I'm open to historical fiction. I've already read and loved Codename Verity. I'd also like to avoid books with domestic abuse or sexual assault as a major plotline. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. I picked Dear Martin by Nick Stone, which comes with trigger warnings for racism and police violence. And this one, so, all right. (laughs) It is not, it's not like, an apocalypse. But this is a book about a big problem. It's about racism in America and police brutality. And it is about the characters dealing with that and walking through like what I would call a wilderness while trying to survive, right? Like living in the US right now when you're black is its own wilderness. And the main character's name is Justice. And he is, uh, he lives in Atlanta and he goes to like this very fancy prep school and has gotten into Yale. And all of that kind of not falls apart, but he gets harassed by police officers who handcuff him for, you know, made up reasons. And he is trying to wrestle with with the reality of that. And then he is driving down the street one day with his best friend, whose name is Manny. They're listening to music. Um turned like way up and on a white off-duty cop who's in a car beside them gets like annoyed by it shots are fired it's like a whole you know it's a whole thing and justice and manny are caught in those crosshairs there's like a media fallout and poor justice is just like having to deal with all of this while at the same time you know like trying to prepare for yale which is like not its own which is its own giant obstacle and he in order to like work through his feelings about this he writes letters to martin luther king jr so it it goes back and forth between like a narrative storytelling kind of writing style and these letters that he's writing to work through how he feels about what's happening and to try to like, I don't know, not talk himself into logicking it out or anything, but he's really just like fighting with it and wrestling with it and trying to pull out the points that Martin Luther King Jr. made about how people should respond to these situations and bring them into, you know, 2019 when this book was was released or was it 2018? 2017, whatever pull it into the present day and the lives of black teenagers, specifically black teenage boys who are having to bear really the brunt of all of this right now. So it's a giant societal issue. It's a giant problem. It's not a group of teens trying to figure this out. It really is just like about justice and a little bit from his friend Manny. But it's a, you know, it's a huge problem. I would say that it's a disaster and he is trying to survive it in this very intimate and vulnerable way of like writing these letters to his hero to try to work out how he wants to respond to this like horrible thing that's happened to him. So that's Dear Martin by Nick Stone. Legit. Yeah. Okay. So I picked A Boy and His Dog at the End of the World by C.A. Fletcher, which comes with some caveats. I'm going to do my caveats first, and then I'm going to talk about why I picked it. There are references to suicide and rape, but they are like off page slash minor parts of the story. There is harm to animals. So like FYI, 
And uh, the biggest caveat I have is that this book uses the gender of a character as a plot reveal, which... Like, let's take a moment to note that treating genitalia as something that should be dramatically revealed has had a violent impact on the trans and non-binary community. So, like, maybe don't do that in your books. I also don't understand why it was done in this book because it doesn't really serve a purpose. I don't understand the author's goal. And if the goal, which is like my best case, like, generous reading of this was to try to make the point that gender shouldn't matter. This only serves to place more emphasis on it. So I don't understand why this was done. But aside from that caveat, it is a solid book and it ticks so many of the boxes. It's very How I Live Now by Meg Rossoff. It takes place in a post-collapse world where, you know, there were... The main character who is a teen is actually not 100% sure, like, what happened. There's lots of competing theories, but, like, global warming has happened, infrastructure collapse has happened, plagues have happened, and... The family is living a very isolated life in, like, the Outer Hebrides islands. Um, And one day a trader comes ashore and, uh, like, charms the whole family and then makes off with one of the dogs. And so Grizz, our main character, is like, you cannot steal my dog. I will follow you literally to the ends of the earth to get my dog back. (laughs) Like, I am coming for you. (laughs) Yeah, it is super relatable. And so the journey is Grizz moving through this world and writing the story of that journey to a photograph of a boy and his dog in the before times. So, like, there's this picture of a kid who grew up in, like, our time with his dog, like, looking happy. And, like, Grizz has relates so much to this picture and, like, carries it around. And it's kind of become, like, a good luck charm or a totem. And so the story is being told to this photograph. So it's, like, extremely diary, interesting, you know, structure-wise. And there's some really interesting world building done. It is not a group of teens, but Grizz obviously does encounter other people and has to deal with that. And I really, yeah, it's an, it's a really, like, it just is what you're looking for, I think. So, you know, caveats, take note, maybe skip it if, you know, gender reveals are not a thing that you want to read about. But otherwise, that's A Boy and His Dog at the End of the World by C.A. Fletcher. All right. And our last question is from Deborah, who says, I'm looking for pregnancy books that are informative, but also not just heterosexually focused or out of date with ideals about women's bodies and rights. My partner and I are going to start trying for children soon via ICI, and I have no idea where to start with pregnancy information. This is this is a real question. Mm-hmm. Amanda, will you want to talk about your pick? Okay, um, I picked Like a Mother, A Feminist Journey Through the Science and Culture of Pregnancy by Angela Garbase. And I will tell you, it has been a minute since I, since I had a baby, <laughs> like 10, 10 years of minutes. My kids are nine years old. But I do remember that I read all of the things that they tell you to read. You know, when I read What to Expect when you're whatever the most recent edition of that was. And I read the most recent books about pregnancy. And they are awful. Like, they're just the worst. They're fear-mongery. They're judgmental. They're very condescending. And they don't contain real, not warnings, but like you should know what's coming, right? Like you should know what your body is about to go through and what you're going to feel like when it's over. And I was completely unprepared by these books for any of that. And Like a Mother, I feel like handles that a lot better. And this is a more recent book. It came out uh, in 2018. And it has a much less condescending way of describing, like it talks to you like you know what your body is and what all the parts are and what they do, because you do, right? Most people do which is a thing that other books maybe don't necessarily do. 
And the author was a first-time mother when she wrote it, and she was taking the questions that she had when she became pregnant and trying to answer them because they were not answered in other books. Like, what makes you go into labor? Uh, you know, what what is a placenta? Like, why do I need to know that word now? And like, what's going to happen to me after if I have a C-section? All of that kind of stuff. And the things that, you know, you hear other mothers like kind of whispering about, but the, like the mesh underwear that you get when you after you have a baby. Why? What is that for? Well, she's going to tell you what that's for, because nobody told me what that was for. <laughs> and there's also which was something I really appreciated about this book is there's a lot of information about postpartum depression, which, again, been a while since I had a baby. But when I was pregnant, that was not a thing anybody talked to me about. It was not a thing anybody warned me about or told me the symptoms of or the signs of for me to be on the watch for after I had had my children. Nobody told me, like, if you feel X, Y, Z way, this is something you need to call your doctor about. I just assumed, you know, I'm exhausted. I had a a major surgery. I've got two kids now. Like, everything has changed. That's why I feel this way. That's not it at all. That was not it at all. And so she really hangs the lantern on the warning signs of postpartum depression and the, the, the moments in which you should be really contacting, you know, your doctor about it. So it's a lot more up to date. It's funny, which is great because like the other books are not funny. They're very fear mongery. Like if you eat deli meat, you're going to die. You know, that kind of crap. Um, and so this is like, it's funny. It's humorous. She's talking to you like you're a person who understands, who like knows what you're doing. Like you're an adult with a brain, which when you're a pregnant woman, people do not treat you like you're an adult with a brain. So I loved all of that. It does not necessarily address specifically being pregnant when you're in a, when you're in a relationship that is not heterosexual, but the pregnancy from pregnancy to postpartum body stuff I think in here is really good so that's like a mother by Angela Garvey I went to the contributors for help with this because I have not been pregnant and um, (laughs) Jamie recommended from the hips it is a little older she said she read it in 2015 2016 but it had a lot of relevant and important info and she liked it because it come it encompassed conception pregnancy birth and parenting with all kinds of families and parents And when I was diving into the reviews about this, what I like about this, I mean, Amanda talks about like how condescending these books are. A lot of them are very prescriptive, like do this, don't do this. This is the only right way to do this. And this book is very specifically about like having judgment-free breakdowns about all of these very like intense questions that people fight over on the internet, like natural childbirth, getting, you know, painkillers, like bottle feeding versus breastfeeding, like work-life options. You know, how does your, how is your family constructed? What does your family look like? What do you, you know, want to do once the baby is born? Like, they are really into giving you as much information as possible about all of the different angles. And one of the ways they do that, that it's interesting to see, like, some people love this and some people hate this, is they have little, like, sidebars from various, like, anonymous parents. They asked parents to, like, <laughs> write in about what, you know, how they handle X, Y, or Z. Um, and so you get all of these different perspectives on it, which I think is actually really great. Like, it's the more information you have, the better choices you can make. It should not just be about, like, telling you, like, well, this is the only way to do that because there's never only one way to do anything. So uh, this seems like a very good option. And again, that's From the Hips. Um, it is by Rebecca Otis and Caridwin Morris. And that's our show. Huzzah! Jazz hands. Jazz hands go here. Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thank you for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Makes the show easier for other people to find. And thank you to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I am also mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. And that is spelled I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you all next week.